Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is the February 16th, 2022 edition of Weekly Manga Recap, and I am Nick, and that is Chris. That's me. Yay. We're both here. Yeah. Against all odds. I mean, when you consider, like, the, you know, cosmic coincidences necessary for two individuals of our independent consciousnesses to... Mm come together and make the yeah 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 i agree with you is basically what i'm saying in the long form that got introspective um i don't know how to handle that so i'm just gonna make fart sound effects okay so <laughs> somewhere out somewhere out there some higher being is just like i said all that time manipulating the pathways of cosmic dust Determining the sequences necessary for DNA to be created and for genes. And, and this is how I am repaid with fart noises. I, Nick, I don't. I want, love it. <laughs> I don't ask for a lot in life. Uh, but as my last synapses fire and I leave this motor realm, I <laughs> beg for my last thought to be. <laughs> and I just leave like. <laughs> and everyone's just like, did they just. Yeah, okay. <laughs> always leave them wanting more. <laughs> yeah, always leave them wanting. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I, do we have anything we have to talk about? Because I, I don't know how to transition from that into the series we're going to talk about today. <laughs> uh, Nick, I went to a cafe earlier. It was unremarkable and nothing happened. Okay, we well. Talk about, can we transition that into this? Oh, there's a cafe in this series. Yes, thank you for the lifeline. Okay, so <laughs> we are talking about Love Me for Who I Am today. Or it's a series that uh, ran uh, from 2018 until March 2021 in a magazine I've never heard of before called uh, GOT Corporation's Comic Medu. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, and it's also called uh, Fukuboku, which is an abbreviation of its Japanese title, which I have tried multiple times to say. And it's just the, the strings of syllables don't come out of my mouth without stuttering. So I'm, I'm not going to try. Yeah. Uh, but this is a series about a non-binary protagonist, uh, Mogomo, who uh, is kind of keeping to themselves at school until... Uh, this boy Tetsu approaches them thinking that Mogomo is a cross-dressing boy. Uh, and Tetsu just so happens to work at a cafe owned by his older sibling uh, that is a maid cafe where all of the maids are actually cross-dressing boys. And so he invites Mogomo to this place to try it out. And that is where Mogamo reveals that they're actually non-binary. And from there, we get a strange chimera of three different manga rolled together. There is the just kind of casual, happy life of uh, Mogamo and these uh, other different maids and people at the store who 
uh, as it turns out, are from across the spectrum of gender and sexualities and how they form this kind of family together. Uh, and it's a safe place where they can express themselves and be who they are and give each other the, the courage to, to do so. Uh, it is also uh, a series about the struggles of being non-cis and non-heterosexual in many different forms and the different kinds of struggles that that has to deal with uh, in terms of how you deal with your family, in terms of how you deal with strangers, in terms of how you deal with your friends. Mm -hmm. And also it is a very suddenly dramatic series at points that jumps off of those themes to not undeserved extremes but very sudden extremes yes. as i'll put it because you are going from you know sometimes it's a bit challenging but mostly it's kind of happy and, and and nice and very 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 positive to oh my this got very intense very quickly so it, it is not uh it is it is a bit prone to becoming very spontaneously melodramatic and then just as quickly as it started uh, drifting into a much more uh, natural, like, all right, here's what's... There's a lot of, like, hey, the next volume is coming up, so we gotta do something kind of big. <laughs> <laughs> what are you uh, doing with that knife? Turns out, not a lot, actually. Well, it, it, it's fine. There was blood, but it was yeah. just, it's just Mogobo's hands are hurt. Ow. It's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um... <sighs> I'll, 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 say something here. <laughs> I'll say something here off the start. Uh, this is, I think, a very uh, unique series. And that series, um, I, I think stories in general from the dawn of time have followed a simple structure of like a beginning, a middle escalation. And this is the first series I've ever seen that just doesn't have a beginning. There's, there's <laughs> no start to this series. The main character just sees Mogamo as like, I wonder if they'd like to work at my cafe. And that is it. There's, there's no other explanation. That is just how it begins. How did this cafe get set up? Hey, isn't this fun? But, but, but how did this... Oh, Okay. <laughs> you don't know who the protagonist is before he walks up and is like, would you like to work at my cafe? And you're like, all right, we're just rolling along with this. And um, I find that is kind of um, an endearing way to start this series that, as you mentioned, is 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 a bit all over the place, um, but is generally trying to just be a sweet, fun, kind of wholesome series that I think does quite a, a good job at showing different varieties of gender expression and giving room for characters to talk and kind of grow through their thoughts. Um, there's a lot of conflict early on, but the conflicts generally all seem to be for the better and all generally seem to be at the, the point of helping someone kind of understand either their own identity a bit more or the identity of someone else a bit more and uh then it will kind of just end <laughs> like it's just like all right we've told i guess all the story we were going to i don't know maybe it got canceled i don't know how you said you've never heard of this magazine before so i'd be like oh man did we get canceled off of fucking true tv how does that happen <laughs> <laughs> I, it ran for three years. Yeah. I don't know. I just, but 
it is just a bit odd because I I feel like uh, there are definitely a number of conflicts in the series that you can point to. It goes like this is a very nice, interesting conflict that is centered around gender expression or gender identity or sexuality, uh, in which there are very interesting reasons for someone not understanding a thing or being against the thing that somebody represents. The first conflict that you do have is one of the maids at the cafe takes offense to the fact that Mogamo just proclaims like, well, if this is a place for cross-dressing boys, then I, I can't be here. This yeah. is not for, for me because I'm not a boy. Um, and one of the other maids may gets uh, really pissed off about this. Uh, and is like, what the hell? You could just you think you just, you know, say that outright. You could just decide that you're that you're not a boy. What the hell? And then it turns out it's because May is closeted transgender and has not come to terms with that yet. And so she is riled by the fact that Mogamo can so comfortably and confidently proclaim that in the face of people who are challenging that notion. And as a result of that, she is encouraged to accept there's a bug on my head. Sorry. I just uh, just for anyone who wonders why I randomly smacked myself in the head while I was in the <laughs> middle of that. Uh, she is able to come to terms with those latent feelings and everyone else in the cafe is very helpful towards her and very accepting of that. And it's very nice. It's like, oh, these people all care about each other. And, you know, they, this this relationship between these two people starts off a little rocky, but then it swiftly becomes very close and positive because they've been through that together. That's very nice. Um, and there are a couple of examples of that uh, through the series that I thought were done very well. Yes. Uh, it's just a little bit weird because that's the sweet center where where things tend to go in this story. Because there will also be times where, uh, like, Tetsu tells his friends about Mogamo, and they're just kind of like, yeah, okay. And it's just just very, very simple and easy, and that's it. And then there will be times that, you know, when Mogamo is dealing with their family, and, like, there are notions of self-mutilation, and just everyone's depressed and the family is falling apart and so it just goes from one end of that scale to the other and that is fine it's just that it ramps up to those things very quickly when up until like the last i think like the second to last volume you haven't actually got an idea of anything to do with mogamo's family situation so it's very sudden that their sister gets introduced and then their family comes into it and it's like, okay, yeah, you're just, it all piles on very, very quickly. So There's, it's a bit, un- I, I wouldn't necessarily, cause it's only five volumes long. Uh, and the sister appears at the end of volume three and the next volume primarily deals with her and then starts touching upon the fact that there's conflict with her, their father and then conflict with the, not conflict with, but the the mother seems to be unwell. Uh, and then the last volume, the rest of the kind of conflict with the family comes to head. So I'd say almost half the series kind of actually deals with her, her mm-hmm. uh, with their parents. Um, but it is odd, though, because there is like a larger surrounding cast 
who kind of bring up occasional plot points of things that might be relevant, and then we just never get around to it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm trying to, what's, uh, uh, Ten-Chan. You yeah. never find out. Yeah, they, they make, he makes some real good costumes, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> to give you an idea of why I think, find the series to be uneven, in between the dramatic conflicts that are, that are very good and the conflicts that could be a bit melodramatic, there is just a chapter that I literally is literally the point of it is just 10 chan's great. And that's just it. They're all studying and 10 chan is like, yeah, I'm very studious and I've been already done all my homework and stuff. And they're like, Oh my God, he's a genius. And he helps them out. They're like, Oh my God, he's like a God. And that, and that they just, it, the entire chapter is just, man, 10 chan's great. There's no reckoning of like, why it was like oh is there some reason why he's so perfect like no he just is he's just he's just a nice studious boy who helps everyone and he likes making cute costumes for people to wear that's it good egg he's just a good egg like okay i don't know why there was an entire chapter dedicated to this but okay (laughs) (laughs) because to be clear he doesn't really ever serve as a foil to anyone's conflict either. He's just kind no, of he's around. just a good dude. He's just a good dude who helps make very nice costumes, seems to be very happy, and uh, just seems to work out for everybody, you know? That's just it. Yes. <laughs> um, I will say there's a lot of moments in this series that I, I did really enjoy. Um, a lot of very small moments. And those are honestly the moments I think I'll really... like. To pull back, I will say that while I like this series, I don't know how much of this series is actually going to stick with me. Maybe the last volume, certain pieces of it will, but because this series is relatively short and the first couple conflicts take a, like, they have little small moments I can hold on to, but like larger parts of it, I probably won't. I don't know how well, how well I'll remember it, but there are definitely small moments that I can kind of think of and be like, oh, I, I really enjoyed this. Like, when um may finally comes out and realizes like oh i identify as a woman i'm trans and mogumo just asks are you happy and there's like a look of shocked expression on her face and she's like yeah <laughs> and it's just like oh that's maybe the fucking goddamn sweetest thing i've seen like i'm so fucking happy for her. yeah and there's also some like nice mic drop moments that happen kind of too. There's a very initially like just kind of uncomfortable. uh, So, so Mogoma has this childhood friend named uh, Kotono or Kotone, Kotone, uh, who is just often just called Koto uh, by them. And their relationship is odd because she's very doting on Mogamo, uh-huh. and then it turns out very possessive of them. And so you are really led to like be against her in their conflict, especially because Mogamo and Tetsu very, very quickly uh, start to have romantic feelings for each other. And like, it's not even a spoiler really to say that they start dating. I think that they're dating by the end of the first volume. It's, yeah, it's, so that, it's another one of those like relationships that's kind of unspoken and eventually cast like you guys are dating right like yeah i guess so <laughs> honestly it is one of the most realistic depictions of, of romance i think i've ever seen where it's just like they just like each other and then they just start dating it's like yeah well, all right i'll take that um but 
Koto is like really possessive of Mokomo, and it turns out it's for a very dramatically interesting reason, which is that she is in denial about the fact that she is a lesbian. And so she sees Mogamo, who is, you know, physically male, but likes to initially likes to dress up girly. And then, of course, they later come to the realization that they're not a boy. Uh, but in Koto's mind, it's just like, oh, well, you know, I can't be with a girl, but I can be with Mogamo, which would be like my salvation from that. Cause I can't ever be with someone romantically cause I couldn't be, I want to be with a girl, but I can't be with a girl. And over time it, it becomes obvious to everyone's like, Oh, Koto's like not like coming to terms with this. And Mogmo eventually just tells her after they've had this big experience together, uh, like you need to stop using me as a substitute for a girlfriend. Like, that's what you really want. And it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> you tell them. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there are. I, I think I need to correct myself when I say that the comp books at the beginning aren't uh, as good. I think they are good. I, I would say what I was trying to get at and didn't place it right. The characters themselves aren't particularly interesting. Like, I would say it's tough for me to really nail down character traits for a lot of these characters. The conflicts mm -hmm. they run into are interesting, but like outside of probably 10, <laughs> I don't really know if there's a character personality that I can really like nail down all that well. Yeah, I understand your point. I feel like the main difference, honestly, between May and Suzu um, is that Suzu is someone who is in an established relationship mm -hmm. and that's just kind of it. I, I don't get very different feels off the two of them because they're just the other two supporting made characters in the cafe. Tetsu doesn't leave much of an impression because he's just kind of like, you know, the love interest boy who's, who's very, you know, kind of just general kind of, uh, so I, I see your point. Um, Mogamo leaves an impression because they're just so convicted in terms of who they are. Um, and I like that you see their, you know, sloppiness and all, you know, there's the fact that like, oh, they're really into dressing effeminately and stuff. But then you see them in their home life and you see it's like, oh, they're not, you know, super elegant at home and stuff. It's like, nah, playing games, leaving stuff in trash cans all over the place and stuff. So, yeah, that's 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 very nice. They feel very, you know, human. Authentic, yeah. 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 I, I, I would I would say this ended up being uh, a very welcome and um, enjoyable series. The melodramatic elements of it um, are there, but I'd honestly even say that tones down quite a bit. They're mostly just volume cliffhanger stuff, um, <laughs> although there there absolutely is some tension during the conflicts there absolutely is like a, a physical kind of like almost like vice around your throat at points when you you start seeing some of these conversations happen particularly in the last volume when it's uh mogamo talking to their father mm -hmm. um, it gets deeply uncomfortable at certain points in time um i will also say that there is a transphobic father who <sighs> i i I know some people are probably going to be annoyed that he gets a, like an introspective flashback to explain why he is the way he is 
I will say ultimately the story goes on the idea like he loves his child and is endeavoring in the in, in the present to do better. Um, but I can imagine that might be a weird sticking point for some people mm-hmm. um, because he does some pretty awful things. Yeah. And um, I, ultimately, a lot of people, I think the series ends up portraying in a light that is willing to forgive. Yeah. And this is definitely think a positive it is. story, uh, which I think ultimately is nice. So I, I, I think you could say something in terms of like some of the stuff in this feels like for the dark places it goes, it feels like it resolves kind of easily in some cases. But honestly, I think that it is just nice that you have all this representation of like, hey, you know, there's these young people from, you know, all these different walks of life with all these different identities. And although the society that they they live in, it's not going to be an easy road for them to get by that way. It is ultimately given to you with the message of, but they can, they can experience happy lives and they can encounter people who love and appreciate them for who they are. And I think that is very valuable. Who they are. Oh, Nick, I get the title now. <laughs> Why aren't all series as easy to explain it on? My hero academia. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. It's fucking... <laughs> I've never heard of a of academia ever. So, <laughs> is it some kind of nut? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a legume. Ah, that's why all my research turned up nothing. <laughs> um, I also want to note the art in this series is is pretty good for the most part. Um, <laughs> there are the last like story of this of uh, Magomu dealing with their parents has a couple moments that are so visceral and Mm -hmm. one of them involves uh just a shot of their face and it's after they've kind of been rejected by their family at being allowed Mm -hmm. to transition or anything like that and just their face is so sullen and sunken and lifeless and it's it hits really really hard there's a moment when they realize puberty's happening and they're there's panicking and it's it really does hit. It really does have these re- very, very strong, palpable moments like that. Yeah. I will say definitely that this definitely that this uh, series does present a pretty, you know, powerful scenario for, you know, all the arguments of like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't allow kids to, you know, get puberty blockers and stuff because they don't know better. And so it's like, and, you know, they might, you know, end up regretting it. It's like, well, I mean, um, the uh, but there definitely is suffering that can occur <laughs> if you don't do it so yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely um I, I yeah i feel like we can't i can't really talk about this series much further without just talking through the entire thing hmm. i did definitely really appreciate reading this though it's not one of my favorite things that we have ever read but i am very very thankful that we did read it yeah. because it is Easily the most the most representation. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that's actually a very nice point. There is a wide spectrum of identity and expression shown, even amongst like cis characters. You know, the sister at one point is faced to kind of confront her own gender expression issues with the yeah. father being like, "You can't play soccer. Soccer's for boys. Grow your hair out. You need to be a you need to be a wife." And her just being mm-hmm. 
just so distraught over that. Like, I really appreciate that it covered the, the, these, these uh, stories from different angles. Yeah. That was the main, th- the main thought that I had going away from all of this was, was just, man, society enforced gender norms are bullshit and we should just stop having them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if uh, you haven't checked it out, I do highly recommend doing so. Yes. Be prepared uh, for some potentially uh, triggering content. I mean, there, there. Although it is mostly a positive series, there are serious discussions of lost stuff dealing with transphobic uh, sentiments that, and you know, the resistances that people can run up against. Uh, so just be prepared for that. Otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, and you can pick it up. Seven Seas uh, Entertainment has published mm-hmm. it, so you can get all five volumes out uh, digitally or, I'm sure, physically somewhere as well. So go check those out. Yeah. And if they're not available physically, then, uh, you know, get the digital volumes, and if you want to read them physically, print them out. Yeah, you know? just... <laughs> that's not legal. <laughs> I guarantee that's not legal. You can print it out, just don't sell it. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to co-sign that. I, in theory, it should work, but I'm like Mac from Always Sunny. I, I For don't your know, own I don't know enough use. about the legality of this to support this idea. Look, I'm not going to get into a conversation about not being able to burn my own CDs, okay? <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, we didn't... Uh, G-Stala G presents uh, Lovely For I Am. We didn't have to give it to nope, fucking Credo Prime after all. Yay! They tried to take credit for uh, recommending it in, in one of the chats. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> your your name was stuck the first with this one. forever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on yes. to talking about our regular series recap, portion weekly manga recap. My Hero Academia, chapter three hundred forty-three. Let you down. We get. <laughs> this is such a. <laughs> We get all for one at the beginning. Just, I don't know, talking to himself. He says, lies do not work on me. Remember that. Lies don't work on me. When a person possesses even the slightest tent. A a flawless superpower, Nick. No holes in it. (laughs) None. And he, you know, he's just like talking to himself. He's like, I mean, I, it was, I don't remember what quirk it was originally, but I could buy it with other stuff. It's a super awesome lie detecting quirk. You can't fool me with nothing, nothing. And so he declares that, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, this, that, that very quirk will bring about my victory. And, uh, he gets in contact with Aoyama's parents uh, apparently they have a code about, I don't know, he, they, they give him some, they're going to say that they give him a quote, Macallan. I don't know what drinks are called. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce alcoholic beverages. All right. Be'er. Is that how you say it? Be'er? <laughs> we may. Okay. So, uh, uh, so. They have all that going on, and they're like, oh, yes, we've got this whole thing where we've got, you know, speaking code and stuff. Whatever. Moving past that point, Aoyama is going to deliver the drink, a.k.a. information, to all for one. And it's uh, he's in a, a parking lot where it's completely empty except for, like, two cars. What are you guys doing parked there? I don't know. Somebody's like, look, I gotta go to my abandoned office complex. 
I guess I guess they just gotta water you know, my plant. Just gonna I guess they die. had to leave them when like yeah. the calamity happened. Well, you maybe. can see cars on the top of the roof that have been like smashed in and broken. So people just left them behind. I guess. And Deku was there too, and apparently Aoyama asked him to be here. And Deku goes, "Weren't you being detained?" And Aoyama says, "My parents' lawyer got me released." And Deku's like, oh, "Okay, well, we could rejoin the search effort if we get back with her." And Aoyama says, "Wait, I'd like to speak to you. It's almost funny that courts and the legal system still exist despite Japan being in ruins." I mean, they would still exist even in anyway. But he says with society as it is now, would the old ways of living really get you anywhere? Let me tell you all for one's real goal with the state that Japan's in. Do you know what's become of the rest of the world? The sudden crash in the value of the yen forced Japanese corporations into bankruptcy. Plus, the coordinated uprising of villains caused the damage to spread worldwide. And now the world faces a crisis, much like the Great Depression or the period around the advent of quirks. Record unemployment, loss of faith in currencies, an era of total chaos. Now is the time for the rise of NFTs. That is all for one's plan. He will mint JPEGs to sell to idiots. You know, I could see him doing it. I it it does actually, as this fucking conversation happens, start to sound like one of those NFT commercials that they it get celebrities does. in for. What is an NFT? Whatever. There's a bunch of zeros on my check. Okay. <laughs> look at the look at the NFT I got, oh my guys. God, it's, Ooh, it's, it's my a... Twitter profile picture for a day <laughs> until I get sick of it and my PR people tell me I can stop using it. Yeah. Oh my god, it has a cowboy hat, just like me. I never wear Ooh. them, but I want to. And you too can be like me if you get this overexpensive piece of shit. All right, so uh so Aoyama puts it points out, but it is like, okay, there's all these nations right now that are that are struggling now that there's all this chaos that has been unleashed. And in such a world, imagine a country lacking potable water. Imagine if a quirk capable of producing that water were to suddenly appear, or electricity or gas, or strength. As the world is plunged into this state of chaotic decline, we suddenly have an arena ripe for a certain remarkable individual to take the initiative. He would become the world's arbiter, its very own demon lord. He only had to rock that balance somewhere. It didn't matter how. Off one's plan is stupid. <laughs> yeah, take that, nerd. <laughs> Yeah, he made the chaos and then was just like, but look, I'll give you the thing so that you just, they're like, why would he make it obvious that he was the cause of everything? Then whatever. All right. So Deku declares the world would never go along with that. And besides, the world still has us. But Ayama says, that's why it all has to end here. I'm sorry. Alas, I had to protect Maman and Papa. And he looks all sad and is biting his lip as all for one descends with the sound effect of But Nick, he gave that big speech. A hero too. You can something hero. Everyone can be a hero. Even criminal kids like this. Yeah. What happened to that? And the plan that they were obviously hatching. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God, all for one. Well, 
clearly Aoyama is turned against Deku anyway, though. Like, because if this is a deception, all for one's got a lie detecting quirk. So definitely it can't fool him. So Aoyama's even crying because he's upset at having to betray his friend. And all for one's congratulating him on being a dirty traitor and stuff. And then he starts like slow clapping. He's like, oh, and you gave a speech about my ultimate goal. That was great. I mean, you were wrong about some of it. Mostly the NFTs thing. But that's fine. Did your parents explain it? And I was like, he's like, I'm not into NFTs. I'm about metaverse real estate. Stupid. (laughs) It's great. I can just sell land to people without like having to own land can you believe that i'm selling space i'm selling the space for virtual mcdonald's that you can't get food at what's the point (laughs) but people will exchange real money for these things that don't actually exist it's great so deku goes i believed in you damn it oh deku potty mouth calm down and ayama says my pain cannot be measured by that singular word, uncle, and he spins around and naval lasers at all for one, who, of course, is completely unaffected by this, but That'd he's pissed off it by it. fucking killed him. Just ripped his head straight off there like, oh, wow, that was surprisingly easy. <laughs> Way to go, Aoyama. All right. Yeah, we'll work on that pardon for you. Good job, buddy. <laughs> Dude, your laser's fucking dope. I thought it sucked. You, you cut a man in half with it. <sighs> Deku congratulates Ayama on his very believable performance. Uh, and Ayama says, I had no choice. Otherwise, we could not have lured him here. Uh, and he also congratulates Deku for being a good actor because this was they were they were in on it. And so they were they were just like, you know, they were yes anding each other. They were both getting worked up in the emotion of the moment of this fake betrayal. Uh, and now, yeah, Ayama is all determined. All of his friends gave him his determination back for his mama and papa, for all my friends and for myself. I shall fight all for one. And he makes a very kind of gross expression, but he's all determined. So good for him. So all for one goes, well, that's disappointing. And then he thinks to himself, how is this possible? I detected no lies, no ill will, neither when speaking to his parents nor to him just prior to this. So how? Well, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Just can't stop on that thread immediately. (laughs) All right, let's get out of here. Uh, he's got teleportation quirks, so uh, he summons the villains. He summons a bunch of Nomu and Toya and Toga and Shigaraki and a bunch of others too. And uh, he's like, "Yeah, whatever, you assholes. I've got I've got all of my my allies here while your heroes are spread across the country trying to defeat all of the different criminals around the world. Uh, and you're too late. But Ayama says, Mama and Papa told me something else. They told me what it is you fear most all for one. You fear the world learning that Japan isn't finished yet. You fear the light and hope that will come with recovery. And you fear Japan inspiring the world to unite once more. So today is the day, and this is the place where you fall! It's a nice speech. And uh, meanwhile, Kuragiri's quirk uh, summons a bunch of heroes behind him. And uh, a bunch of top heroes uh, arrive, including uh, Takos there. 
and Nurko, who's got an artificial arm. Gang Orca! Uh, and also uh, two of the big three are there, too. And Endeavor. Him, too. Yeah, I mean, come on, this is a pretty sweet moment. I, obviously, it's it's kind of calling back to the Avengers on your, you know, the portal scene. Um, mm-hmm. But that scene... On your me, portal? Yeah, on your portal, <laughs> on your left. Uh, oh, what, if, what if he had said that instead? He's like, on your portal. What was that? See, it's, Damn, fuck. It, it's a callback, but we're not, like, on your... I don't know where the portal's coming out, so... Sp- space-time is confusing. I don't understand it. <laughs> I hope... I hope this wizard shit isn't a thing. <laughs> uh, I, I like this a lot, though. That scene is probably one of the coolest scenes in, in modern cinema, and this is a super cool scene here with all the characters showing up. Yeah, uh, we get, so- like, back-to-back, near-two-page spreads of the two sides squaring off. We're going to have that big X-Men uh, opening thing where they run at each other and go... Yeah. Of course, we don't see the part immediately after the opening where everyone just goes, Oh, my head! Now, Nick... How much better would it be if, uh, like, one more portal opened up? They're like, we need all the help we can get. And it's fucking old samurai guys like, I've come out of retirement for one last fight. And then, like, he gets, like, a rock hits him in the leg. He's like, oh, I am retired. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I, look. Sheets his sword and walks back through the portal. <laughs> oh, I gave it a go, but no one appreciates me being a hero out here. What does your quirk do? I have an extra toe. It's not a quirk. <laughs> well, I had one, and then, you know, a sword's been an accident. I chopped it off, so... I've got swords. <laughs> I can throw swords at people. Wait, you don't use them? You throw them at people? Yeah. Yes. 30% of the time, the blade hits them. Um... Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I miss... Sometimes the hilt hits them, and sometimes it uh, hits the hostage they take every time that I show up. In fact, that's usually what happens. <laughs> you think that's why no one likes me being a hero? Well, goodbye, everybody. I've done everything here I can. They're like, you didn't do anything. You threw a sword, hit a child, and then left. <laughs> You're like, yeah, old Dusty Trader's calling for me. Yep, rank number 10. Okay. <laughs> I'm the best. Everyone sucks but me. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that was my Hero Academia this week. Um, It feels weird to introduce the threat of like, oh, he's got a lie detecting quirk that is immediately thwarted, but we'll learn how it was thwarted later when it was not an established thing that he had a lie detecting quirk prior to this. Uh, But there's a part of me that it's like, if I I got, I hope the lie detecting quirks is like, well, I can't pick up on half truths. (laughs) Like he wasn't really lying when you think about it everything he said in his mind was true like <laughs> fuck you this power sucks maybe it'll be something weird like if you play a recording then it doesn't actually detect lies or something like that i don't know but uh the other thing i was gonna say is like i mean obviously i was not fooled for a moment into thinking that aoyama was actually going to be working with all for one in this moment it's like yeah they they tricked all for one i don't care that you introduced this lie detecting quirk he's clearly not working with them but it went the way that you wanted it to and aoyama gets to look cool and he makes a nice cool speech yeah, so uh, it's i i like this chapter a lot i thought it was a very cool chapter yeah. all right nick let's move on to undead unluck number 98 restart 
So we open it as uh, Andy, Mui, Shen, and Nico are reviewing the footage, and they note uh, from the UMA ghost attacks, they're like, hey, uh, well, I guess it was actually Ruin's attacks. They're like, hey, all mm-hmm. these wounds are on their necks, and they're all smiling. Can we dig up any similar murder case? Like, all right, we're going to look into it. And then Andy turns to Nico and is like, hey, bring my bike topside. So he thinks, like, all right, Unruin has a regeneration ability like me. And his blood manipulation skill is better than mine. He can also warp through shadows to attack from behind. So how am I going to beat him? And uh, Shen comes up to Andy and is like, hey, I'm sorry. If I were in live and I had an untruth, and Andy's just like, dumbass, what's with the I'm starry shtick? I never blamed you for any of it. And Shen's like, well, I'm in your debt. You know, if you weren't around, I wouldn't. I mean, not just me, Mui, neither of us. We, we, We wouldn't be a part of this world. And Andy's like, well, it's because of you that we even got into under or union to begin with. So if anything, I owe you guys. I'll return the favor. And he walks out and runs into Top, uh, Chikara, and Tatiana. And uh, we find out later is in. And they're basically like, hey, do you know where Fuko is? And Andy's like, We're, we've got a general idea. I'm going to go look at it. And uh, Andy... <laughs> Walks over to a Shin and Chikara. This and, is so bullshit. And wraps his arms around them and says, quit dragging your heels and confess to them already. And the two of them blush. And they're like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And Andy's like, to Chikara's like, I have no idea. And he's like, don't play dumb. I know you've been into Tatiana. And I was like, that's not the vibe I that's picked up. That's not the vibe I've gotten. <laughs> and then <laughs> the one that really baffles me. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I believe Tatiana was part of the mission where, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten his name all of a sudden. You just said it. Like, what the fuck? Uh, uh, Chikara. Yeah. yeah. I believe in the mission where he showed up like on the ship that she was there too. Yes. So they have had some interaction. So I could believe that, you know, a naked girl burst out of a sphere to unleash her power. And he was like, Ugh. yeah, I could believe that. I don't know if we've ever seen Ishin and Top talk to each they, other. They, they have. She specifically shielded him so he could do his big run to attack uh, Spring. There was there was a moment shared between them. It was not as long as the like four chapter mini arc that was all about Top and Jakara's relationship and their trust for one another. Uh, this entire scene feels like. Someone at Disney was like, look, you got to make it. So this scene, you got, we got to be able to air this movie in Russia. All well, right. Can you, <laughs> we we got to make you sure it's going to allow it. Can you have Poe meet a bounty hunter that he's got a pass with mm-hmm. and they still have the hots for each other? Exactly. And can you have Finn meet a freedom fighter who also happens to be black, but you know, just, that's not important. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, and, I love that's probably 100% the attitude of the executive who came into that writer's pitch meeting. I was thinking po- uh, Finn could meet somebody. Maybe someone black. Someone black. I'm just going to say it. Someone black, please. <laughs> <laughs> and have her, like, not say anything that'll piss off a disturbingly large part of our fan base that hates anyone who's not white that says anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very amusing because the scene... 
does not blend. You can't. No. <laughs> he comes out of nowhere. Andy walks up. He's like, I know you crazy kids have been holding this in for quite a while. And I, I was swear. Like, I was like, is he going to tell Chikara to confess to Top and Ishin to confess to Tatiana? <laughs> it would have made. Look, I would have also been like. All right, I don't know if I completely buy a shit in Tatiana, but I 100% would have bought te- Top and Jakar. Like, that's outside of Andy and Fuko, that's maybe the second most canon, and, and Shen and Mui, that's like the third most canon pairing in this series in my mind. I saw a post not too long ago that made me kind of forever bury my thoughts about, like, you know, over the overabundance of shipping and fandoms, which was at uh, some point I was like, why do you guys hate it whenever we, you know, like ship yaoi couples when whenever there is a relationship between like rivals or guy friends, there is all this talk about how much they mean to each other and how they're reflections of each other and stuff. And then whenever it comes to their actual female love interest, it's just like they're just kind of there. It's like, <laughs> and this kind of sums it up, too. It's like, yeah, we got that whole thing of like Chikara on top. They're perfectly in tune with each other and. And it's like, yeah, go confess to Taz. All right. What's what's weird, and we'll kind of get to it as this chapter kind of goes along. The the main reason Andy even has this thought point is he's like, hey, the Earth potentially is going to end in three months. You guys make your moves now. Perfectly reasonable thing. Um, I don't know if Undead on like Undead Unluck has a very weird pace to it where it could suddenly move crazy, crazy fast. Part of me is like, is it trying to get to a conclusion and we just didn't have time to actually showcase those relationships mm. in any meanif- meaningful teased way or anything like that? Or is this just like, like, because it was also a moment of like the last arc, like, oh, Tatiana or uh, Ishin finally got some exploration and like character depth and things like that. Like, all right, well, now she's here. Uh, she gets together with fucking Tom. All right, all right, I got it out of the way. Let's move on to the next thing. We gotta, we keep moving, everybody. <sighs> Anyways, Andy gets up, uh, gets outside. Uh, Nico has brought him his bike. Uh, it looks really nice. He says, thanks a bunch, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> and Phil... Hi, Phil! <laughs> and Phil says nothing as he has for the entirety of the series. <laughs> and then the scene ends with him. Uh, is basically is like, where do you plan on going? Also, his bike runs on blood now. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense. <laughs> uh, Andy's like, hey, I'm gonna go get Fuko back. Uh, they're like, yeah, but you can't, like, none of us stood a chance against him. And Andy's like, yeah, that one moment said it all. Any one of you could have ended up like Fuko. There's only one of us who can't die against the ruin, and that's me, undead. So he he takes off his, his coat, he drops his sword, and he's like, I'm leaving the Union. I'm going to catch you later. Don't go dying on me. And, you know, uh, Chikara tries to be like, no, Andy, don't. You guys kind of puts a hand in front of him and and he just says the earth's fate rests with the union and he rides off in his cool motorcycle and uh everyone's like wait what do you we want to save fuko too are you sure about this and Juez says no this is fine i'll accept that vision of justice taking andy's blade but there's one thing and she throws ah! she, she does she pulls a yasai or whatever that samurai's name was from my hero and she throws the sword straight through his chest 
Although in this case, she is treating Andy as if he is the bike's hostage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, she just shouts, we're all comrades, so come back before the world ends. We'll be waiting with two empty seats. Andy says, ha, this reminds me of how I first met Fuko on that day. That was the first full day of my life. Undead, Andy, we get narration text box. Unlock Fuko Izumo. And he just says, no matter how many times we get separated, I'll come find you, Fuko. And narration finishes, this is the story of their quest for the greatest death ever. Undead on luck. Final chapter. <laughs> look, I would not be surprised if this is the series trying to wrap itself up um, in a not decent pace. We just had uh, a sequence of, of series get added in i think there's only one more coming in so i don't think another series is going to be ending anytime soon mm. but this series has been uh, stagnating in sales and has not been particularly performing well in the rankings so i would not be shocked if the series is preparing to wrap itself up maybe it won't maybe it'll keep going uh under the luck is a very difficult to predict series <laughs> uh, but this definitely yep. had the pacing of a chapter where things are moving to wrap up pretty quickly. Also, probably the first miss that Undead Unluck has had as a chapter uh, in probably like five or six months. I feel like we wouldn't feel that way if there weren't the sudden heteronormative thing. <laughs> they just got but, introduced. But that is like a big, a big part of it of just like, what the fuck? Where is this coming from? Where is all Where is all this? Like beyond the fact it's yeah, very much like spare your pairs kind of bullshit that couldn't just let two yeah. characters be gay. Um, it's just a, like have these characters really talked? Like, I don't, there's not a part of me that's like, Oh, whoa, it's top and Shin finally hanging out together. Not since the conclusion of Magu-chan and God of Destruction have I been able to pinpoint so easily where a series goes wrong. This is the Unaris moment of this chapter is, is when Andy starts talking to Andy, to uh, Chikara and uh, Ishin, because prior to that, is pretty damn good. Yeah. He's concerned about the battle ahead. He has a really nice conversation with Shin, Shen, and they establish like you know their feelings towards one yeah. another and the, the silent respect they have for each other. And then he's like, "Hey, you kids, don't you want to go kiss?" <laughs> I know what you're all thinking. Uh, the room's been so easy to read with all you crazy kids. And then it does. I like, feel actually. Excuse me. Up until like. A week ago, no one knew who Shin was, right? None of you actually knew who she was. You all just saw a person in a mask, right? And I always imagined that mask kissing your face, Todd. And then, then immediately after she revealed herself, pretty much, Fuko got stabbed and you had to flash forward a week into the future? Like, how long have, yeah. you, how long have you been able to gather like a, a thought process about this girl? Wait, that's a good point. In the, in the time that I've been gone, did you guys kiss? <laughs> You better get to you better get on that. That's a week it could have been kissing. And, and then he just looks at this guy. He's like, "Thanks for everything, Phil." <laughs> Is there someone that you've kissed recently? <laughs> he's just staring at Phil. He's like, "I'm very interested in other people's love lives." <laughs> he's just staring at Phil. Like, what chick can I say you have to hook up with? <laughs> like, he's just like looking around. He's like, "You've always." Don't hide it, Phil. You've always had feelings for unlove. I knew it from the moment your characters never met. <laughs> <laughs> I've got... Listen, I've lived for a very long time. Through many lifetimes, in fact. Do you know how much fan fiction I've written about you guys? <laughs> 
Oh boy! All right. Um, <laughs> let's let's, let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter One Seventy Nine, Dead End Crow. Uh, so Holy has now arrived on the Eden Zero ship. As now she is a member of the crew temporarily until they can finish their alliance against Ziggy. And uh, they're like, "Hey, you aren't a prisoner on board this ship. You can come and go." Uh, she notes, like, you know, are you gonna monitor me the whole time? Will you be peeking on me in the toilet in the bath too? I wonder. And Weiss uh, gets nervous, and says, "We w- 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 would never do that." Um gross uh for multiple reasons um hermit just basically says like no shiki's orders are you won't be watched any more than necessary as long as you're on the ship you're one of us and uh holy says and i would never betray dear sweet shiki and quietly she thinks but i will (laughs) after i'm off the ship (laughs) (laughs) she's like i had my fingers crossed behind my back when i said it so it doesn't count (laughs) <laughs> they go to the uh, mess hall where uh, everyone else in the crew is hanging out and they're like yeah you can eat a bunch of food here and uh, Jin says you know I have a talent for cooking hot dogs it's Sen- look Sen- I want to say before we get into okay. this this is a very random character quirk of his it is my favorite part of this chapter. <laughs> it is the most compelling thing that has ever happened to Jin's character, and that is including him being a descendant of Robot Ninja School. Right. He I just, forgot about that. <laughs> he just says, I have a talent for cooking hot dogs. Since you're here, maybe I'll let you try mine sometime. And Weiss is just like, Oi, what are you doing? You can't say that. And Weiss, or Jin just continues, is just like, Would you like to try my hot dog? And Weiss is like, oh, you're a pervert. You can't say that. It sounds like you're talking about Shuili. Yeah, this this is like, you know, oblivious and doggedly insisting that she allow him to make hot dogs for her gin is the most interesting he's ever yeah, been. It's, it's just him being like, welcome. I make really good hot dogs. Would you like Would you Cause like it's, such, it's such a random thing, too. Like, fucking, who, how hard is it to make hot dogs? Like, I'm actually kind of curious to see what his hot dog is. But you can't spice it up. I know how to spice up a good hot dog. But, like, part of me is like, what does he make? Uh, but, of course, Weiss has to ruin it by being like, Oi, it's perfect. You can't say that. Blimey. Oh, you can't be saying you want to slip her a wiener. <laughs> yeah. Um, we go over. There's a dress factory montage. There's a bunch of fan service scenes. You know how this has got to do. Um there's a moment though where Pino, uh, Holy looks at Pino and is like, Yeah, I kind of know about everybody's background, but I couldn't find anything about you, little Pino. And Herman adds, She's the next generation of shining stars created by Ziggy, an anti bot android. So, get a little bit more. Is that established before? Um, I don't remember. I'll be 100% honest. I don't remember. I feel like that was a detail that she was made by Ziggy. Um, I don't remember much else about that, um, hmm. but she is the next shining star generation, I guess. So maybe we'll get more robots. Maybe they'll <laughs> revive Eggbot, and Eggbot will also be a <laughs> the, sh- the ship's target. <laughs> Anytime they're attacked, every attack goes through God. Eggbot. Um, so they're just like, ah, cool. We'll we'll use that. He's not a very effective shield. Yeah. Uh, then we go to the bath, and 
My God, we were here like four chapters ago. <laughs> and it becomes extremely exhausting because Rebecca says, Hermie, so the best way to make friends is to bear it all. Is that it? And Hamora says, my heart just skipped a beat. Oops, I said it out loud. And I have become so tired of characters constantly talking about how unbelievably hot Holy is when she looks fucking identical to every other female character in this series, pretty much. I think Hero legitimately loves Holy's design for... I, I don't know what it is about it. I have no idea. But The wings I and the hair, is that it? Maybe it is literally just the way that her, her profile looks. Because uh, not only do we get shots of her in the bath with everyone ogling her but also we have the scene with her dressing up in all the different outfits and stuff he loves drawing her yes. i i don't know what it is that sets her apart but he loves drawing her so there you go yeah i guess so uh they actually have a discussion in this about like oh wait are you guys all from the sakura cosmos and hermit's like no laguna's from al and Holy's like, and I'm from the Yukino Cosmos. Yukino, I guess. And they're like, oh, you know what these cosmoses are called together? And they're just like, I don't know, four cosmoses? They're like, no, but, well, yes, but they have another name. See, Ao is summer and Sakura is spring, blah, 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 blah. The four seasons are these four cosmoses. And together you call them the Grand Shiki Cosmos because Shiki means four seasons. So they're like, oh, do you think? Like, that's interesting. Our captain's name is Shiki. So mm-hmm. there we go. Uh, they go to the medical room, uh, but sister calls from insides or yeah, sister calls from inside saying, I'm doing uh, an examination. Come back later. And inside sister is kind of looking over Labilia, who is shaking because this is a very scary moment for her. And she just says, well, I don't know the name of whatever this disease is. Sad and mysterious, sad anime girl disease, but I'm sure we can work something out. And she says this as if it's the funniest thing yes. in the world. Ha, 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 ha. Clap, 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 clap. Knee slappingly hysterical. Well, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'll save your life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she says in exchange, we'll have to stay on the ship for a while, uh, long term. And the Billy is just like, wait, wait, work something out. What do you mean? So it's just like, you're going to get better or rather I'm going to cure you. And the Billy is like, but every single doctor I've seen has said, and sister says, have you been looked at by an android doctor? And then for a reason I cannot even begin to understand, the scene cuts to Sister's sex dungeon. For her to continue this thought, all doctors, human or android, have their own fields of expertise. On top of that, I can use ether healing. I don't understand why the shot moved to showing her sex dungeon. It doesn't apply to anything, and it's really weird and out of place. <laughs> So is what you know, Chris. Those are clearly not just sex dungeon objects. Those are her medical tools that she uses to perform different uh, procedures on her patients. You know, now that you say it, I do remember when I got the MRI, they put me on one of those crosses with like (laughs) the shackles on the (laughs) and like the limb sides. And I was like, this is kind of frisky, right? And they said, give us money at the end of it. And I was like, yeah, you yeah that's about right. And they were like, get out of here. Um, she just says, with my powers, I can cure you. I have magic healing powers. You're 
mysterious disease is not a big issue. Uh, she then also continues, hey, it reminds me, I heard you were quite a bully to our little Rebecca. And Labilia kind of is like embarrassed about this and crying because she just had a heart to heart with her. But uh, which just comes in. I totally get it. She has such a masochist vibe. And Moskoy chimes in. Me too. I'm a massive masochist. And sister says, once I tied her up naked and whipped her on the backside. And Labilia's like, I never did anything that mean. You absolutely did. And I had no idea Rebecca was into that. And Moskoy continues, I am much more massively masochist. Um, I don't know what this scene is for. <laughs> we had a moment. Well, the, we had a moment on the discord where someone was like, oh, do you remember that? I can't even remember what the specific example was, but it was like, do you remember that scene where Rebecca got tied up by a witch and like got a beat up or I don't know, something like that? Some like sexy kinky thing. And I had to sit there. I was like, is that a scene that actually happened? Because I cannot tell the parody fetish stuff from the actual real stuff that's in this series. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's also unfortunate because like, you could have just had a nice scene here. Like, I understand that like sister is trying to like keep things kind of light with her new patient, uh, but it's a very weird way of trying to set her at ease and be, uh, go from a, uh, she has an incurable disease. It's okay. I'm going to cure her. And also sex. Woo! Can so. you imagine if that's like patch, then patch Adams remake. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he goes God. into the kid's hospital and he's just like, and then I just started tying her up and spanking her. Hark, hark, hark. Waka, waka. <laughs> You're just like, I don't think you should be allowed near children. You're deeply upsetting. Yeah. <sighs> We cut over to the briefing room. Shiki's there with a, an all hands on deck. And by all hands, I mean like four people. Yeah, <laughs> really? Like, the captain. Uh, and he's just like, hey, just let you know, Elsie's going to be happy, helping us on this mission. So I need you to take care of justice. And he's like, I can't do that. I told you we don't have any authority over each other. So I can't stop justice from doing what he wants to. But he also can't stop me from working with you guys. And they're like, can't you at least ask him to stay out of his out of our way? And she's like, it would only backfire. So he knows Elsie's coming. He'll come running. So to which Captain Connor says, blow me down. What an obsessive young lad. Well, batten down my hatches. Shiki's like, all right, well, let's just actually start this meeting or whatever. And they're like, all right, cool. So we'll talk to the captain first. You were there, right? You were from Leonard. And he's like, yes, I, I'd be a glorious escape from there. And I'm like, what were you doing there? He's like, I were working a human on an old android planet. Your job? And she's like, oh, it was kind of scanning. It were easy work for what they were doing. They were collecting professionals from all kinds of fields. And I were there as an expert helmsman. And they paid to let us scan their knowledge and teach it to their robots. And those robots were the Ziggy soldiers, right? And he's like, yeah, but I didn't know that. So I left as soon as I found out. And like, you never found Ziggy, right? Like, no. What about Dead End Crow? And he's like, yeah, oh, I I never saw a single uh, robot swabby. But during my escape, I saw a giant that... Oh, man, I forgot he actually says this. I saw a giant what shivered me timbers. <laughs> like, I kind of put on the voice for it, but... He does just say shivered me timbers. Uh, and he's like, I thought it was a weapon of Ziggy's. And Holy says, that was dead end crow. And they're like, oh, what, what are you talking about? That thing was bigger than the ship. And she's, Holy says, 
didn't I tell you? Dead End Crow is also known as the Titan of Eternal Darkness. At 420, nice, meters tall, he's a living fortress. Bubba bomb, that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, I mean, I I think that it is like, all right, yeah, we have an enemy who is just really, really fucking big. It's like, okay, Yeah, it's cool. it's an intimidating character trait. Uh, this chapter would have been probably fine if it didn't have to get weirdly horny and stupid so many times. Um, oh, so many times. But that's... It's not... <laughs> That's just Eden Zero, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's very serious. Okay, let's talk about our new series in Shonen Jump, Akane Banashi. Uh, this is a story. Yes, it's a story about Rakugo, which is a form of Japanese theater, which is like one man shows. It's very traditional. I watched. I watched this series. Uh, that is about Rakugo called uh, Gekan Shoujo. Um, something like that. I can't remember the, the exact title. It's, a, it's also called in English Descending Stories, uh, which for the most part was quite good. Unfortunately, uh, it ended on a very, 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 very bad story reveal. Uh, so I have mixed feelings about it as a result of that. But that's what it made me think of because they both deal with Rakugo. You don't see a lot of stuff that's about Rakugo. Yeah. Uh, I'll kind of go quickly through this chapter because it really seems to just be establishing the backstory and introducing you to the three main characters for the most part. Uh, Akane is our main is our main character, but for a while it looks like it's actually going to be uh, her dad, uh, who is named Shin, and uh, he is. Established to be a mid-level Rakugo performer, um, and he is in line to potentially be promoted to the next level, uh, the highest level of Rakugo performer, which would mean, of course, that he would be more heavily promoted and he would get more pay. Uh, and he is very insecure about his current standing as a Rakugo performer. People think that he is, you know, washed up, that he's just not very good at it, and they don't think that he supports his family. Uh, his wife seems to be the main breadwinner of the household. Mm -hmm. We don't really see what she does, but she seems to be a, a career woman who is at home less than uh, Akane's father is. Uh, and we get a quick introduction as well to Akane. She has picked up Rakugo performance from her dad. And when a kid in her class made fun of uh her dad she got pissed off at him and when they're called into a meeting at school about this she recites what has happened in rakugo style to convince everyone that like no this kid actually started it he's the asshole here <laughs> but her dad ends up showing up to the parent uh parent teacher meeting about it and apologizes for the trouble that she has caused and stuff we just see that he's really depressed about the fact that he is seen this way. Uh, despite the fact that he's really struggling, Akane oh, can we, can really we, looks up to her dad. Can we note his great fucking line, though, about like, he, you know, he's like, he's like, oh, you can't say that about it. And the mother's like, well, I'm glad you're reasonable, unlike your daughter. And dad's just like, well, I understand that both you and your son have had much to say about me. We both have a long way to go as be in, in being parents that aren't embarrassments. So our show's like, fuck, yes. Thank and then God he just he leaves before she could say anything. Thank God he said something like that. Fuck her. He's not just a complete walkover, even though he's he is does look down on himself that way. 
Um, and Nakaya does also beat herself up a bit later because like all I did was make everyone upset when I was trying to stand up for you and stuff. Uh, then they talk a bit more about the rankings of uh, Rakugoka. Uh, and he says very depressingly, <laughs> given not even just where the story results, but the fact that he's in this position to begin with, you know, if, if I get bigger takes, then I, then I get more money, then nobody can say bad things about me anymore. Just like he has internalized all that criticism just based on the fact that he earns not very much money in this current profession. Um, and then he goes into a private room in order to recite. And when Akane watches him, she's like, he's so good when he's performing like this. I can see just how good he really is because it's not just him in there. I can actually see three different men with different characters and appearances all interacting. And it's really cool because the art style shifts in order to demonstrate this visual. It really makes me feel optimistic about how things are going to look going forward. That was the thing about descending stories that I always felt was kind of lacking was the art was not great in it. And I feel like the art in this is stronger and especially when they're like in performances you can see the way their body contorts in ways and their facial expressions get very different really emphasize the performance that they're putting on we uh go ahead to the potential promotion for uh, shin uh and akane and her mother are going to be in the audience uh observing while this is going on we're introduced to shin's master shiguma uh, who is kind of stern, but also is quite friendly uh, towards uh, Shin's family. Uh, Shin is uh, really, you know, it's doing some last uh, minute studying. And then we get introduced to the chief judge of the contest, Isho Arakawa, who is a grumpy old man. Real sour <laughs> His first line is, that Shigama idiot's here too. Well, that puts me in a foul mood. Like, yeah, I'm sure that's what put you in a foul mood. It's not just how you are all the time. <laughs> we see Shin preparing more. He's nervously smoking and he's just thinking to himself, like, I just I need to trust in my own art. But what if I screw up? They're going to call me a deadbeat again. Economy's classmates are going to pick on her. Masaki is going to have more pressure on her. Even my own daughter might give up on me. And then he gives himself up, you know, he smacks himself in the face to get over it. And uh, Shin is first up to perform. Uh, and uh, when he gets out there, though, immediately he feels everyone's eyes on him because it's not just some typical event. That's a major thing because of, of the uh, potential for promotion here. Uh, and uh, he starts off kind of nervously by kind of rambling in his introduction before getting into the proper story. Everyone's like, oh, man, he's 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 not doing well. He's rushing. Um, and he's even he's thinking to himself, oh, man, crap. And then he hears Akane sneeze in the audience and he realizes, wait a minute, she's she's mimicking me. And uh, she he flashes back to when it's been established that they are aware that Akane watches his performances and mimics him and stuff. And uh, Masaki, his wife's, you know, is talking to him about it. And Shin says, if even Akane were to give up on me, I'm lost. But Masaki says, well, if that's what you're worried about, then reach the next rank, reach Shinuchi. It should be. And, and Shin's like, well, that makes it sound so simple. And she says, well, it should be. This is for Akane. Don't you get it? She's, you know, a daddy's girl. She wants to brag about you. You can whine and be weak around me, but in front of her, you need to be her cool, capable dad. And so 
thinking of that and thinking about the fact that Akane is watching him, he gets really into it. He gains his confidence. He launches into the story and is, you know, people are observing like, oh, he's making changes to the story. He's skipping certain parts of it. But in doing so, he's focusing on his strength, which is to portray these very different characters. Uh, he's giving up. He's sacrificing one thing to really emphasize that and go all in on the characters. Um, and we get this emphasis of like, this is his strength in Rakugo is his acting. Um, and also they pick up on the fact that like, oh, and the relationship he's portraying in this story is like the relationship between him and his wife. Uh, he's, you know, internalized their relationship into this performance of stuff. And he's really determined now. He gets his big shonen moment of like, all the struggles that I've been through. Masaki never told me to quit Rakugo. Akane loves me despite who I am. And I want to repay that love and support as a father. As Shinta Arakawa, the Rakugoka. I've poured all the experience I've gained as an artist and as a person into this. This is the day I become a Shinuchi. And he finishes his big performance. There's a big, you know, there's some big applause from the regular people. The actual Rakugoka who are watching are much more you know, reserved and respectful and their congratulations. And Akai's just like, my dad's so cool! Yay! And then at the end of the promotion, there's an announcement from where they introduce Isho Arakawa to make his declaration of who is going to be promoted. And he says, he thanks everyone for you know showing up. And then he's like, anyway, you don't need to hear me talk anymore. Let's get right to the results. Everyone who performed today is expelled from the school. Oh. Just not everyone failed. They're all expelled. They're <laughs> Get them out of here. Yeah. And uh, the guy who was the who is announcing and is the emceeing everything is like, oh, that's a very good show. It's like, no, I want to apologize to everyone who came out here because this was a travesty. This was a disgrace. It is the worst thing I have seen in years. And there is no point to any of these people continuing to perform. So they're gone. They're lost causes. Uh, and everyone is just shocked by this. And Akane is, you know, look, turn, turn to mom saying, what, what the hell does he mean by expelled? What, what's going on? But of course, her mom's just in shock. And uh, it turns out that, yeah, everyone does have to be officially expelled because of this. Uh, Shigma is objecting this because of, you know, this is his people. Why can't, why doesn't he get a say in it? But Arakawa says in response, you know, whatever performance he just gave, that was not Shibahama. That was not the story he was supposed to perform. And no one really knows what's going on. Everyone's just like, is this really happening? Is this real? And we get to this narration that says that on that day, the Rakugoka Shinta Arakawa died. The performing, the performing title died. His, that's, his, presumably her dad's still alive. But His, his real name is Toru. Right. But the story doesn't end there. And we are introduced to Akane, who had been a little girl in this part of the story, but is now clearly a teenager. And she is showing up to a performance by Isho Arakawa. And she's got a fan, which is traditionally used by Rakugoka. And she snaps it shut when she shows up. And the narration continues. In fact, that day was only the beginning of my story. Yeah, I really like this first chapter. I thought it had a lot of emotion to it. It was strong. Is it the best, uh, you know, Shonen Jump manga that we've had that focuses on acting? 
Yes. I'll go out on that one <laughs> and say yes. Absolutely. I mean, if we're judging chapter for chapter, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't make the rules. I'm just saying yes. It absolutely is an indisputable objective fact is. Um, I'm very excited by this. I thought that this was a really well done, like, Hey, you know, I don't know. I don't care if you don't know anything about Rakugo. This is, you know, what's impressive about it. This is what's cool. You can see little hints of like, Oh, here's how we can emphasize the different strengths of different performers and stuff. And then you get that big rug taken out from under you of like, no, Akane's father did not achieve his dream. That is one of going to be one of her main motivations as the actual protagonist of the story. And uh, yeah, I dug it. So we'll see where All this right, goes. All right, Nick, let's move along. Now, I, I believe at uh, one point in time, uh, Kaiju number eight was described as diet world trigger. I believe it is time to officially designate Dororon as Dororon Dororon as Diet Diet World Trigger Shasta Trigger. I guess you could call it RC Death Diet Caffeine Free Lacroix World Trigger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chapter ten of Samurai Officer. The Samurai Officer showed up in order to help out Ginchio and Dora. His name is Heisuke Uji, uh, which we get a really rapid introduction from Ginchio. Uh, and then we are immediately introduced to, oh, hey, Uji has kind of got a character quirk because he's like, I'm friendly and I smile a lot, but I'm still your senpai. Hey, you were supposed to laugh at that again. There, I don't a beat a, a single panel of frame of something to indicate that there is a pause between a deadpan joke and the punchline. God, it's just so frustrating because it's like you're so close, just a little bit more, and I could at least see it was a joke. <laughs> like, so uh, he starts fighting the humanoid Mononoke, uh, and uh, who's really excited to have a new opponent. Uh, and the uh, Uji is like, oh my god, such supernatural power, but just being strong isn't enough to earn respect. And he launches a giant Pac-Man from his sword that intercepts the beams that the humanoid Monoke shoots out, and it just eats the attack. Uh, and then it eats half his body, uh, and it's like, oh shit, got him! Uh, and Kinchi is like, he released the power of the Mononoke sealed in his sword, a special sword technique only a samurai officer can use. Thanks, Kinchio, for the exposition. Thank you. Uh, the human Mononoke starts laughing and his body regenerates because, of course, he's not dead. You know, whatever. But before the fight can continue, the human Mononoke is contacted by someone and they refer to him as Hirahisa. And they're like, oh. You, you've arrived. Join us. Everyone's waiting. Wait. No, they're not. They all took off. What a joke. Is it? Is it a joke? Whatever. So Hidehisa starts talking with this person in private. Yoshihime is their name. And Hidehisa's like, well, I was, I mean, I was on my way, but I was having fun. But Yoshihime says, No! I'm really bored, so come here or I'll scream in your head until it pops. And he is like, okay, fine, I'll go. Oh, uh, oh, you're going to pull me in? Yay, it's so fun when you do that. And Uji tries to attack him, but then a string appears around his middle. And he's like, well, we'll play again sometime, so don't die. 
I want to kill you. And he gets pulled off into the horizon. Whee! By the string. Uh. And just so we don't think that cool, awesome, and very entertaining new character, Uji, is, you know, is not weak. He says, if I had enough supernatural energy for another Hulk attack, I could have finished it off. Okay. So... Nick, every series wants their mojito. You gotta give a couple gotta give a couple clues to be like, ah, oh, this thing's strong, maybe it'll get stronger, but this guy definitely could have killed it if he had stayed around. Yeah, yeah def, definitely. This dude's yeah. very cool. He's very strong. Uh Kinchio says, Yeah, so that thing appeared as soon as Hanya Gyuki, which was the big monstrous Mononoke, was defeated. It burst out of his belly. And Uji is like, Oh man, you killed that thing? Good job, Kinchio. Of course I would have killed it instantly without a scratch. Okay, so, I got it. Like, is he just being a dick, or is this supposed to be part of his deadpan joke at the start, where he says weird things and then he's like, "But that was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at it." I can't tell because I don't know what this character's gimmick really is quite at this point. Yeah, and Gintio is like, "Well, it wasn't me who did it. I was paralyzed." And then Uji notices Dora, and more importantly, notices Kusanaki, and it's like, "Oh, why haven't you killed that guy?" And well, Dora and he says, Dora interferes he says, immediately. Speaking of which, and then he's like, "Why haven't you disposed of us?" I'm like, "You weren't speaking of that. There was no. There was no segue to. <laughs> hey, why didn't you kill this one over here?" <laughs> It's all those uh, people who definitely want to like talk about a topic, so they're just like, yeah, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we need to kill this thing over here. Like, oh, okay, I thought we were having a conversation, but I guess not. Dora grabs the sword to prevent Kusanagi from being stabbed, and he says, don't put your sword at Kusanagi! And Uji goes, like, oh, Mononoke are bad. They attack humans. We have to eliminate them. <laughs> that line... Really does come off all the way you read it straight. <laughs> Mononoke are bad. They attack humans. Mononoke are them. bad. This is Katana. I would advise not getting cut by her sword. <laughs> the Something happens. I don't know what because for some reason we pan back from that shot during a moment of motion so you can't see what happens. But apparently Dora's clothes get cut by the sword because Uji is like, calm down. You cut your own clothes. Something fell out. Your guts. It is clearly a piece of paper. Are you joking or are you just stupid? I don't know. And Dora says, Kusanagi is my friend while getting all intense. And Uji is like, what a glare. A Mononoke friend. And Genshio explains that she recruited them as helpers, and they helped her defeat Hanya Gyuki. I know it's hard to believe, but that Mononoke is on our side. They're powerful allies. And Uji looks down at Kusanagi and smiles because he's actually looking at the, the drawing that those kids gave to Dora for, you know, saving them earlier. Yeah. And he's just like, nice drawing. All right. I'll hold off on eliminating that Mononoke, but I can't just ignore this. You're coming back with me to headquarters. Oh, no. They're going to have to deal with bureaucracy, which we know nothing about, by the way. We, well, hey, we know they have. Sorry, a... sorry, sorry. We know one thing. We know the pyramid. Yeah, we have the, the ranking system. Ever. It was very important. We found that out. Um, man, I just really couldn't. Like, 
this was the chapter that made me realize like oh man this is just like a worse version of kaiju number eight <laughs> like in almost every way um I don't I care about realize this. that in chapter one. I'm sorry. I try not to like foresee those things too, too much, but this was a moment where I was just like, it really is. And I don't care about this new character at all. Um, I don't like this really does. Also, it feels like the series has now already shelved Kinjio. Like maybe not, but uh, she was definitely sidelined in this arc. Uh, so I don't really know what's going on with it right now. We're 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 it's still here. Right. It still is. It's time for. Hold on, Nick. Aren't we gonna talk about Maguchan? No. Well, yes, kind of. But Nick, so, there was a new chapter of Maguchan this week. Basically, everyone was like, "Hey, guys, you should talk about Protect Me Shugamara this week." Look, Magu-chan shows up. Yes, a much better series took place inside of this really terrible one. It is basically what the series itself admits. It's like, did Magu-chan end last week? Yeah, fuck it. Let's just be a Magu-chan chapter. Yeah, there's just like, look, Magu and Naputuku and Uneris all show up and get into hijinks, and then they go away at the end, and everyone's just like, oh my god, Magu-chan got a destruction is so good. Look, yes. we all agree. If you could be out of this series or out of the magazine instead, so Magu Chan could continue, I think we'd all universally agree it'd be a better thing. But that obviously is not a possibility, and I think it was a very sweet move to be like, "Hey, this is like a full-on like tribute to how much and how awesome Magu Chan was." Yeah. Um... The worst part of it is I have to uh, follow with the jokes of Protect Me Shugamaru, which are difficult and they're bad. <laughs> By the way, uh, the uh, the chaos gods are uh, uh, the reason they show up in Protect Me Shugamaru is because Shugamaru uses a dual monsters card because we can't go a it's, single it's, chapter. It's, it's legitimately a, a thing in the series now. There's a, there's a Yu-Gi-Oh joke every chapter. Well, so the way that they're summoned is that Shugamaru pulls out a dual disc and he activates a malevolent catastrophe which is, uh, in Japanese, uh, nasty gods calamity. So it summons the, the gods. Uh, he doesn't fulfill the conditions to activate malevolent catastrophe. So, um, you know, Shugamaru, fake Yu-Gi-Oh fan. Okay, moving Can on. Can you say the name so, of the card one more time? I kept, I know, malevolent <laughs> catastrophe. Okay, I was like, am I the only one hearing it? It's really it's, weird. It, I don't know. It's like, it's the way that, like, the words flow into each other for me that it no, did make malevolent, malevolent catastrophe. Like so. Malevolent catastrophe. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Is that how it's like a, it's like a weird Yu-Gi-Oh word that's not actually catastrophe, like catastrophe, like, or whatever. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's supposed to be activated in response to an opponent's attack, and no one was attacking Shugamaru when he activated it, so he cheated. Okay, so. <laughs> pee, 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 pee. I've, got a, I've got a puzzle for you, Chris. Okay, I got you this. You guessed this, get this wrestler one. slash wrestling act. Okay. I've got a good feeling about this one for you. Okay. <clears throat> Proud Patriot. Okay, damn. Let me say the clue. <laughs> Proud Patriot promotes passion principle perspicacity oh kurt angle that's absolutely there we go, there we go. intensity integrity intelligence <laughs> 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 
If you hadn't gotten it, I would have said, like, pretend I said the last three things, but they all began with the same letter, but it wasn't B. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said proud patriot. I was like, all right, this narrows it down to Kurt Angle, uh, the Patriot, Jack Swagger, or for some reason, Cesaro. He was also a part of like a Patriot gimmick for a little bit. Or the Patriot. It could have been been him. (laughs) Oh, God. That's that's a little too deep track for me. If you like throw in there Mantar, I'm not going to get it. I'm going to take that right now. I'm gonna have to like go go into the the uh, the next the new generation at some point. <laughs> Come on, don't you know who fucking the Portuguese man of war is? Like, <laughs> it's like don't you know Thunder Rosa's character from Lucha Underground? Like, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I forgot she was on that show. Yeah. Basically, everyone you like was on was on Lucha Underground for a little bit. Also, Jake Hager. Okay, so chapter 20 of PPPPP. <laughs> the Undying Queen of the Distorted Forest. Get a color page where uh, uh, Lucky and uh, Min are dancing together. Hmm. So last time we got this big ominous thing about Mimin uh, running, you know, playing freestyle and stuff. And we see, uh, we cut back actually uh, to focus on Furusu. And uh, she narrates in the beginning, I immersed myself in piano to defeat Odogami, but somehow I find myself on the outside. And that's why I said what I said, which was uh, she came into the house where Mimin and Lucky were talking and she said, I think your freestyle playing isn't good. To which Mimin uh, went Super Saiyan, uh, did not appreciate this comment very much. Afterwards, uh, Meloli and the other one, uh, are talking about this and they're like, wow. Well, yeah, she said that. Damn. Well, what's Furusu doing now? Oh, she's practicing with Dada Sensei. She has been for a while. Uh, and then Meloli says, don't you think that Furusu doesn't like piano? And Sionji, I think is his name. He agrees. Yeah, I don't think she does. So. We then cut forward again to the music concordas of Japan, where the competition is going to be held. And uh, we get a brief breakdown of like, this is what they're required to play in the preliminary round. And today, Mimin and Furusa are participating in the preliminary. And Mimin shows up and she's wearing this big regal dress. And she's immediately like, hey, it's you, pigtails, boing, boing, and grabs her pigtail so she can go <laughs> boing, boing. <laughs> I would hate her so much. Oh, absolutely. But then she goes, hey, you say you don't like my freestyle playing, right? Well, then I've got good news. Today, I'll play in whatever style you like. What are you playing? And she gets all freaking evil looking when she asks what fruits is going to be playing. And we are told like, okay, she's going to be playing Chopin's Revolutionary Etude, Bach's Will-Temper Clavier, uh, and Mimin is playing Chopin's Winter Wind and Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier as well. Uh, and so they talk about this for a bit, and uh, Sayonji talks about, like, yeah, I'm looking forward to Mimin and stuff, and Lucky kind of in defense, like, well, I'm looking forward to what Furus is playing. And Sayonji's like, are you and Furusu going out? No, but they're the main guy and main girl of this series, so I guess they're bound to be love interests, you know, whatever. So, um, but Lucky says, well, she's been practicing and she said she wants to defeat an Otogami. I don't hate Mimin, but I don't want Furusu to lose. 
and he also thinks about how Mimin declared anyone who loses will be banished. Mimin walks on stage uh, and everyone's like, oh, my God, it was fucking Mimin. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, and uh, Furusu is waiting in the wings and she's like, if I can beat Otogami playing it, playing this etude, that will be a true revolution. I want to defeat Otogami and have things back to the way they were with mom. And that's why I can't be on the outside. Mimin starts playing. The music trees appear in the concert hall. And it's revolutionary etude. But the trees aren't just summoned, but they're also distorted and they seem to be raveling around Meloli as Mimin plays. And uh, they, in fact, ensnare everyone and, I guess, turn them into corpses, soldier corpses, as in a revolutionary army corpses. And Mimin is a queen who is stomping over their bodies. That's pretty fucking metal. <laughs> And the queen Mimin declares your revolution has failed. And uh, Furusu is basically just shocked by this. And she realized like she played the same song as me. And what am I going to do? If I play a different song, I'll be disqualified. But it was so beautiful. No one will want to listen to me play after that performance, I'm sure of it. And she's even thinking about this when she plays. And as she's playing, her fingers slip and she makes a mistake. There's a note out of place. And she thinks to herself, a mistake. My first ever horrible mistake. Mom will go back to being her old self if I play this, but I can't. And Lucky says to Dada Sensei on the side, I've got to win against Mimin. Because freedom that makes people suffer that much can't be left alone. And Furusu is crying as she's playing now at the at the end of the chapter. Aww. She didn't get her epiphany, so. Nope. Guess not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, it's a very good chapter. And uh, it does help to rebuild Mimin as this uh, sort of interesting antagonist. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. And she got kind of spiteful towards this girl, so yeah. she destroyed her. She's like, eh, I don't really like you, and I'm going to pull your pigtails, and I'm going to fuck your whole life up. No, no, no. Pulling the pigtails means that I do like you. Uh... Fucking you up by playing the same song as you means I don't like you. <laughs> uh, all right. Dr. Stone. Time to get Stone. Nick. Z equals 229. Y, man. Uh, we get a reiteration of the Y-Man searches out for intelligent organisms so that it can be a parasite off of them and uh, apparently searches out intelligent species through radio waves. And uh, the reason why it uh, paralyzed the birds before was uh, to test and see how people would react to it. It was, you know, an advance to, you know, ga gather stuff based off of, you know, their DNA and everything. Um and uh, they also bring the point of like, you know, those fortunate organisms were the first to experience petrification. And Dr. Chelsea says, wait, we mean lucky, like they were lucky to be petrified. And Gen explains, I believe it's implying that turning to stone and enjoying a permanent deathless existence is cause for celebration. Uh, and uh, so this happens. People react to like, what the hell? 
there are these birds got turned to stone and then the most intelligent species of the planet recognizes the petrification will grant eternal life the same species may immediately start discussing the matter via electromagnetic waves and so yeah there were scientists who discovered the frozen birds and started talking about it and that allowed Wyman to determine oh this is the optimal target to be paralyzed paralyze humanity uh and then the stone is made so that it is easier to undo when more brain power is used and maximized those individuals would then not be able to resist the allure of eternal life. They would cultivate the parasitic Y-Man in perpetuity. And then we get a very, very quick montage of things that happen from the perspective of the astronauts and the 3,000 years go by. And this is... There's an alarm going off on my phone. Uh, this give, gave rise to uh, Soyuz's uh, people and... So this is the biggest, like, okay, I guess, of this chapter, which is, so they polished oars, and then the headdresses that they wore served as antennas that amplified the radio signals that this gave sense off. And so that's why the petrification devices showed up here, too. Okay, sure. (laughs) It was a Naki being like, and a Gaki being like, I figured out everything except one big detail. Fuck it. No one will notice. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also, apparently, they send a radio signal that gets picked up by the headdresses. And so one of the people is just like, what? What? One meter? One second? What is that? (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, I know how to set it off now. And that's why it started. All right. Okay. (laughs) Um. Gen is concerned about the fact that, oh, these guys don't seem to understand, like, negotiation and stuff. And then we get another montage that just goes over like, yes, so then Senku and everyone woke up, started the Kingdom of Science, then there's a petrification going on, then there's the fact that the Kingdom of Science made a GPS that sent out really strong radio waves, and as a result of that, then the Y-Man was like, wait, wait what the hell? What, what's going on? They've got all these electromagnetic signals. They don't lack intelligence, but for some reason, they're not pursuing eternal life. Why do they not yearn to be petrified? Why? Why, 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 why? And that is what I picked up on the initial transmission from Y-Man when they first noticed it. And narration explains that day was the opening of humanity's negotiations with Y-Man. I mean, so, look, there's some details. If you get into the reads, doesn't make sense. As for the larger parts of it, I do kind of like the logic that these things are working off of as to how it plays to our original, like, storyline. Why was this person just shouting why over and over again? Because it's a machine that can't comprehend why something wouldn't just seek eternal life over and over again it's this 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 alien concept just repeating this this thought over and over again basically i think it's really cool there um i don't know how much all of the details hold up i'm still kind of waiting to find out like why was there a pyramid of them in south america that were all deactivated like i assume maybe those are more details we'll figure out at some point but like the ultimate thing is like I, don't know. I like this as an explanation for the mystery of Dr. Stone. I don't, I don't hate it. I know some people are probably going to come away being like, this is unsatisfying. 
um, I'm still at a place of being like, I could find parts of this I like. Yeah, I agree that in the big picture, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get that. It's just when it's like, well, let's get into the details of certain things that honestly, Nick, you probably wouldn't have been all that concerned about if we hadn't brought them up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would never have been like, how did they know? I would have been like, oh, they're robots. They'd figure stuff out. <laughs> so here's how we got to the kingdom of petrification. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. They polish ore and the feathers on their heads <laughs> send it. <laughs> As feathers do, Nick. That's just what they do. <laughs> oh God! All that's right. why. That's why uh, flying attacks are not effective against steel types because uh, steel <laughs> sends its its messages up through them. That's what happens. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nick. Let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter ninety six. Mash burned it, and the mobilization of muscles. So we open the chapter as Guy Sensei is there, and he says, "Lee, take off those weights." <laughs> And Lee drops the weights. And of course, Gara sits there and is like, how heavy could these weights possibly be? It's not going to matter. The weights hit the ground and explode in this huge force. And Gara is, of course, like, what the fuck? And immediately, Rock Lee is behind him, sends in a punch, just like, immediately, like, wait, what was that? Like, it's, it's too fast. Suddenly, just Lee is all over the place. Gara's like, doesn't matter. I'll just start swinging these tacks all around. But it doesn't matter. Rock Lee has reached this pinnacle where he is just way too fast it is completely uh, incomprehensible at this point and he starts actually making him sweat uh huh. i guess at this point i could just drop the facade uh mash is really really fast domina has no idea what's going on he just sees mash kind of hanging there and he's like why does poseidon seem smaller what did what did he do and we found we find out what mash is doing is doing a one person bucket line where he just scoops up Poseidon and then carry like like brings the bucket across himself to pour it over the edge where the stairs were. Uh, Finn relays that, and he occasionally returns in his super fast form just so it looks like he's still standing there and hasn't moved. And there's an after image, and he did it tens of thousands of times in a mere instant, and then he just starts scooping up Domina. <laughs> Because he's like, you're made of water, right? You could just, you, I could just scoop you up too. And Domino's like, uh oh, this is bad. I don't have enough water to tra like transform myself. <laughs> I'm running out of time. And Mash just comes up behind him and says, "This is the part where you pray to the gods." <laughs> and he just fucking clocks him in the back with a hammer. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, it is truly to mash form to make this big huge deal like oh man there's this ultimate attack that mash has to take down what's he gonna do oh he'll unleash his ultimate technique where he he's he's so powerful that the tone of his skin changes and his hair is standing up and immediately just goes back to full-on mash where it's just a bunch of jokes because mash is so strong like that's it it's yeah like i made the joke at the start that this is basically the rock lee versus gara fight uh the rock lee versus gara fight is probably the like one of the most hype moments in like shonen anime ever so yeah fucking absolutely crib off that like it's fucking awesome so like if you use it i love it uh and then afterwards yeah i, I do love the joke of mash just scooping all the water out and i'm gonna be like oh i can't do anything i don't have any <laughs> water left 
And of course, <sighs> in classic MASH fashion, sometimes he just has a line where like, this is weirdly dark. He's like, this is when you pray to the gods, bump. <laughs> Uh, I was curious uh, while you were talking about it. So I actually looked up when the Rockley versus Gara fight takes place. Uh, chapters 81 through 86. So actually bizarrely close to yeah. where this one is. <laughs> this one. Oh, yeah. Good fun. Yeah. Good great stuff. chapter. Great chapter. The Elusive Samurai, chapter 50. Uh, I don't see the chapter title yet. Uh, my bad. So. Um, it's, uh, honestly, mostly like a setup chapter, big city, bright lights in the big city and something like that. Uh, Big city. It was a song. I can't find it anywhere. I don't know who did it. It wasn't like the soundtrack for fucking outlaw tennis, I think, (laughs) or (laughs) I remember, uh, First off, Yusuye takes the kids to meet Sionji Kinmune, who has his entire face just kind of like, like it's been squeezed up, uh, like from the closing of a book or something. He's got a weird face. Uh, he's got some stuff to uh, uh, talk with Yasue about. So Yasue sends uh, Tokiyuki and his friends out uh to just you know have a good time in Kyo. and he's like hey you know look uh, uh, don't just don't blow your cover go go enjoy yourself i used to do this too um so they all head out to enjoy themselves and they're like you know amazed by the food that they have uh genba gets taken in by some mm, ladies of um uh the, the entertainment district i guess we uh-huh. i'll call it that um and immediately again was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go, uh, but I'll be back by nightfall or maybe not until morning. He's like, okay, kid, you've got a very. Aren't you like 12? Then we see um, the temple, and there is a person there who is like, I hate loquat seeds! They turn the best fruit in the world into the worst experience! Buddha, hear my cry! Remove all the seeds from the loquats of the world! Okay. Uh, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> um, they're just like, yeah, there's some weird people in the world. <laughs> Uh, Fubuki is meanwhile working so that he can earn some wages to get some fucking food. Uh, and they're like, huh, well, yeah, there's all this cool stuff here in Kyo, but I gotta go check in to see how Genba's doing. Oh, he's been ripped off by these ladies and their ringleader who, uh, is playing a gambling game with, with him and just, just fleeced him out of all of his money and all of his clothes. At least he's still got his mask. That's, that's a, that, that makes it better. Um, and uh, so they're like, oh, wow, he's in trouble. So the this girl that has uh, gotten ripped him off is like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like my slave now because he's like an indentured servant. That's how deeply in debt he is to me. Uh, and uh, I've got some guys coming over and they're going to go take him to Mount Hie where he's going to be doing hard labor until he pays me back. 
wow, that's uh, dark. Uh, so Tokyuki's like, okay, well, let, 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 let's bail him out. And he just takes all the money from everyone that Yasui has given them. Is like, hey, look, he he's new around here. He's ignorant about these things. So here, let's, let's just call it even. And she says, no, nah, what you lose in battle, you regain in battle. You recover gambling losses through gambling. So play me, not for money. Put your body on the line. So Tokyo gets ready to sit down. He's like, well, I don't know how to play, so you have to teach me. <laughs> Such an honest kid. Um, but, uh, and of course, the girl's like, well, I'm going to rip this guy off easily. He's just some simple, proud country samurai. It's going to be so easy to take him for all he's worth. So Shizuku pushes Tokyuki aside and Ayako like lifts him out of the way uh, and Shizuku's like I'll, I'll play her uh, but the girl accepts this and uh, Kojiro gives everyone a warning like hey I could just like kill you guys so maybe you should just accept the offer here um, but the girl introduces herself and says my name is Mima I'm the daughter of Sasaki Doyo and Kojiro's like oh that's a really skilled warrior. So maybe we shouldn't just kill all these people. <laughs> um, Mima, Mima says, I doubt us country shrine main like you knows the more sophisticated rules. So we'll use the easy willow rules. Uh, but she's has caught on to this girl's secret because she says this girl, she was holding a piece from the board earlier and she was using divine power. So this will be no ordinary game. And me proposes roll the dice. They'll take you from Kyo to hell. So, yeah, this is what we're doing. I, I didn't expect us to wind up in this case, but I like it. I like I like I really like this girl's design, honestly. So we are where we are. Yep. Black Clover. Let's talk about Black Clover. Nick page three twenty three partner uh, partner. How, how, partner. How, how, how would he say it? Near. Partner. Partner. Uh, anyways, we start with a little bit of a flashback showing uh, Vanessa and Gray both trying to help Yami because they're like, oh, he's in really bad shape. And wait, has his body changed? It's almost like the devil that possessed Asta. It's like, you know, physically he's all torn up, but he's brimming with magic. And dark magic black moon is activated and Yami just gets up and he's like, thanks for the assist. And then uh, Patry shows up. Who's like, I'd like to repay you for the debt I owe you, but I'm useless in battle. So I brought this guy and uh, William Vengeance is like, I made a sword for you. nearly dead, (laughs) but sure. You are useless. Okay. (laughs) Take my legendary loot drop. (laughs) And, uh, Yami says, I'm really not over that thing you pulled with the elves, but both of us were nabbed by these jerks, so I guess I'll call things even. And if we make it back home alive, let's get a drink. So we cut back to the present where Yami has intercepted Lucifero's attack, and he's just like, you're the dark magic user. I'll take you on later. And he tries to send Yami away. (laughs) Yeah. And then he goes to punch. And Nick, who should interfere but Zora? He's here. Nick, like Smash Brother, everybody's here. Secret counter trap magic. 
and uh, he uses a, a cap a counter spell, and Sekre is also there to to help with a, a mana up ceiling magic, and it does seem to hold it off for just a quick moment. Nature Book Flare's like, you need to get a, get back out there. And Yami's like, I just saved your butt. What are you talking about? Nature Book Flare's like, I don't care if I die. You know, seeing you reminds me of who I used to be, that version of myself I hate. I'm begging you, get away from me. But out loud, he just says, so don't save me. And he's like, ah, and he starts beating himself. He's like, I took Morgan away from you. I don't want anyone dying to save a guy like me, especially not an irreplaceable friend like you. Yami's just like, are you stupid? You're going to keep living and help enough people for Morgan, too. Anyway, it's not like people need a reason to save their friends. Nature boy Ric Flair. That's what he <laughs> says. He says nature boy Ric Flair, too. Which is weird, because Nick Flair doesn't exist in that universe. So, or he does. But, oh like, the God. good version of him that yeah. didn't do all the things, you know? <laughs> the, 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 the figure of Ric Flair... That was on television. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the personification. Uh, we get a little bit more of a flashback of, uh, I can't even remember the brother's name, but the brother who died. Basically <laughs> like, you on the previous I, I can't remember, Nick. These names are going in and out of my head all the time. I had to remember what the fake names I made up for characters are. And sometimes it gets And that's hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> it is a challenge, honestly. Uh, Morgan, that's his name, says, uh, saying, Yami, you and my brother are similar in ways besides your magic. You get him better than I do, and I'm his twin. And he's like, it's frustrating to think, but I think you make a better partner for him than I do. Aw, he ships it. Yeah. And Nature Boy Flair says, you're too old to be talking like a kid, Yami. Deep down, men stay kids forever, you moron. Shut up. Grow up already, loser. And they're like, all right, well, what are we going to do about that thing? Tell me, they tell me that's the king of devils. And two of them stand by side by side, and we see a shot of them when they were younger, and a shot of them now. And they say, "Let's go have some fun with them." Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's fine. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. And, and Zora showed up again and helped. Yeah, he did a thing. <laughs> and so, and Sekre too. Yeah. So I'm very happy with that. All right, let's wrap this up, Nick. Set sail for One Piece, Chapter One Thousand Forty. Yeah, Waste. Yeah, yo. On young ears. Uh, last time, Kid uh, gathered his magnet gun together and freaking shot Big Mom to try and make her go down the hole and fall out of the island. Uh, it's, uh, I believe it's shooting a rail gun or something. But anyway, Big Mom is still resisting. She's still holding on to the edges of the pit. And everyone's like, how the, f- how, how? Uh, and Big Mom shouts out, even as she's being blasted, by a kid make your choice you can select the fate you'll suffer the moment i deflect this thing back at you you can give me 50 years of your lifespan or you can keep it and serve me life or slavery and i was like oh god she's gonna steal all of her souls everyone get away from her uh and she's even sucking in the souls of just all the onlookers as well uh and like how 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 is she this powerful even on the brink of death she's so terrifying uh, and uh, Law's men shout out, you've got to get out of here, go! But Law just says, follow your own advice. And Kid says, why should we be afraid of the weak words of some old hag who's outlived her welcome? And Law says, I can only imagine how hideous your death scream will be. And I was like, oh my god, they're not losing even a second of their lifespans. Do they have not even a single ounce of fear for the Emperor of the Sea? Um, Hera starts to come up on Law. 
to protect mom from him. And Law says, this is what my savior would have done. And he summons a room around uh, Big Mom and declares silence. And everyone was like, huh, all, all the sound vanished. And Law says, this technique extinguishes all sound created by your influence. I mean, I don't know how he does that, but he does it. <laughs> Nick, I've learned Law is basically a JoJo character. <laughs> he will come up with a lot of powers. Not all of them make a lot of sense for what he normally does. I have learned to just go along with it <laughs> and just not question it. Uh, and uh, Big Mom's like, what? Why, why can't I speak? Whatever. It's like, oh, man, he's using Coruscant's power. Yeah. Uh, and Kid shouts out, damn punk. For his attack and blasts Big Mom and she finally goes down the hole and she starts to drop down and Big Mom's like, what the hell? Why are Prometheus and Hera saving me? God damn it. Uh, and she falls down the hole. She falls past Yamato. Uh, even stuff that she touches doesn't make any sound. She sm- swipes her hand into one of the bombs that Yamato has frozen over and uh, it explodes. And then the malevolent spirit of fire vengeance poofs and goes out bomb exploded which technically i guess fulfilled uh fucking dickhead painter guy's last will energy thing malevolent will so i guess yeah it it, it did what it was told to so it's done i guess i guess (laughs) question mark Anyway, Big Mom falls out of Onigashima. A, a hole gets blasted in the bottom of the island because a bomb did go off. But, as we learn in a little bit, uh, not all of them went off. Hooray. Uh, and there's also some other stuff that we see uh, flashing by. But, meanwhile, Big Mom is narrating. And she says to herself, Hey, Roger, why'd you have to go and say that? You got the whole world in on this great era of piracy. Easy for you. You're dying. But when those kids rise up all over the world, we'll be the ones who have to deal with them. Just tell us about the One Piece before you die. Does it exist? It better. What is it? Where is it? Some of it's in this country too, isn't it? Ah, I'm so close. Kid, law, they'll pay for this. Don't you dare assume that this'll kill me. I'm not assuming. (laughs) There's no way she could have survived that. She definitely survived that. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the ninja battle between Raizo and... I forgot about this. (laughs) Go ahead. Let's... It looks like Raizo is winning because Fuku 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 is just like, Oh, water! Uh, A big explosion goes off when Big Mom hits the, uh, the ocean far below. And we get uh, narration saying that Big Mom uh, was defeated by Captain Kid and Surgeon of Death Trafalgar Law, who uh, are tired afterwards. Everyone around them celebrates uh, with their boss slash captain. And then we cut over to Yamato uh, and Momonosuke, who can now just talk to each other through the giant hole in the island that uh, the explosion opened up. And Yamato was like, yeah, a single bomb blew up, blew the bomb off the island, and I managed to encase the rest of the night, so the entire armory besides that is fine. Uh, but Monosuke says, I cannot leave my current task, however, so hear out what I have to say. Zunesha is very close by. What? The elephant from Odin's journal? Indeed. 
a companion of Joy Boy who committed a crime 800 years ago. We're back to that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Look, um, I, I like this. I think this situation probably flows a lot better not read week to week which is a complaint i've kind of noted about one piece before and kind of reaffirmed when i did the reread one piece tends to read better in in big chunks Uh, i think this probably does because we don't get two straight weeks of being like all right big mom i'm gonna put everything i have into this next attack i don't have anything left after this oh she got back up i guess i got a little bit more (laughs) left in me um there's also part of me, too, that really does like the dichotomy of law and kids' power bases, where law's powers are this nebulous, confusing, undefined, like, kind of whatever he needs to do thing. And kids is just, I'm going to shoot big guns and punch you harder now. That's all his stuff does. And uh, I kind of enjoy that because while law stuff makes me very confused, the child in me can be like, Yes, I like that you shot a big cannon laser. <laughs> big mom, that was cool. I, I appreciate that. Is it a laser or is it a rail it's a, gun? It's a rail gun, but I'm yeah. just the shorthand is laser. It's what, a it's a big gun. Because yeah. theoretically, if he was shooting an actual thing at that high of speed, is it not ripping through her? I don't know. It's for all intents and purposes in the story, just a laser beam in the same way. Cyclops shoots beams of concussive energy because that's what we need to do. Otherwise, he, he would be ripping through people's faces all the time. And we can't show that. Also, his eyes are actually portals to a laser dimension, which is another weird right, detail right. they add later on. Ultimately, I do like this story and I, I i like how the big mom conclusion went you could also add like oh and she also got hit by one of those bombs that's another reason why she kind of went down and, and all those things i don't love that it seems like they use this as a way to kind of end yamato's conflict i guess yamato might have another little part to do in this story then seems like he it seems like he might so potentially i have no idea and i also could not give less of a shit that it's like oh and she I guess is going to save Rizo or something. I, I don't care. I, I, <laughs> I could not care less about that, but I did actually like the, the conclusion. It's, it's cool. Probably not as epic as it needed to be, but still satisfying. Oh uh, boy. Yeah. Um, also there's still all the stuff that's going on. We, we, I like how we were just like being reminded in this little collage of like, Oh, right. Remember where all the straw hats are and all the situations they're dealing with. Yeah. A lot of them are very minor by comparison to others. Like Zoro's got a grim reaper, barely bearing down on him and Jim base holding up a burning roof and uh choppers over there, you know? Yeah. He's hanging around just, you know, he's normal size now. <laughs> Uh, all right, that is gonna do it. Let's. Uh, what what are our favorites this week? Favorite chapter in PP? Uh, I'm gonna give my favorite chapter to Mashal. I've been not as high on Mashal recently, uh, but this was a chapter that I, as I said, cribbed maybe one of my favorite chapters of all time, or I guess not chapter, but moments in manga of all time. And then afterwards was just really really funny and kind of awesome. So I, I really really enjoyed this man this week's Mashal. Yeah, I totally, I totally grok that. I get to exactly where you're coming from. Uh, my favorite chapter, I know this is like a curse whenever a new series comes out and I immediately give it my favorite chapter of the week. But honestly, Akanabanashi had a really good chapter one and it got me more intrigued and excited than any other chapter I read this week. It just did. 
That's so. fair. That is very fair. I, I considered it absolutely as well. Um, my MVP is going to be, I think I'm going to give it to Big Mom because I, I, I didn't talk about it all, but I actually really do like her speech as she's thinking like, God damn it, Roger. Why did you fucking have to go and say that? Because you're dying. We're the one that's going to have to deal with these kids. I, I thought it was actually a pretty cool like thought for her to have as she gets defeated by the new generation finally. Yeah. I thought it was a very cool moment. There was also people made the note that like Big Mom's like, just tell me what it yeah. is. Fucking cry. Like just that exhaustion. Like just give it fucking a little closure. And uh, meanwhile, people put that in contrast with like, you know, Luffy had the chance to learn about it from Rally. And he was like, no, don't tell me. Do not tell me. So it's it's nice to set have that contrast between your hero and villain. So uh, my MVP is uh uji obviously man what a great new character <laughs> what, you don't you love hisuke from fucking derodoron yeah everyone loves him um it's actually really tough uh for me because i don't know if there was like a character that really stood out that maybe like oh yeah yeah that was that was a cool thing they did <sighs> i guess aoyama because he has a cool speech in this okay. and you and we get that closure of like, yeah, no, you, you know, BP is still remaining on the side of the heroes. He's still got hope and stuff. Um, but there were like, you know, small moments that we got. I do like, you know, Mimin being built up as yeah. a proper antagonist in this stretch of. And I liked all the parts where everyone was horny for holy. Yeah. Yeah, holy. Yeah, oh, it. man, she's so hot. She's so hot. Much hotter yeah. than any other character. If the next chapter of Eden Zero is literally just titled, man, holy so hot, you guys, then I won't be surprised. <laughs> Not at all. Although, a legitimate thing, I am actually really in favor of Jin being weirder and yeah. just having these electricities. I, I wish it was, but I feel like the only reason we got even that was to make a joke about hot dogs and penises. Probably, yes. Uh, the audience, by the way, absolutely 100% agreed with you. Aka Akane Banashi was the chapter of the week. And the character of the week uh, ties, actually, Big Mom, as I said, and then also mm. Toru from Akane Banashi. Yeah, cool. Yep. Yeah. He had to make a cool speech, too. And then his world crumbled around him. So that sucked. Actually, I think, surprisingly, we don't see a whole lot of his reaction to uh, what happens in that chapter no we right we we see i think you can maybe see him on the one panel where they say things go crazy although it might be someone else and then yeah you don't actually see anything else so even a bit of suspense as to how he's going to react to it yeah all right well it's gonna do it for weekly manga recap this week everybody thank you all for joining us we record the show here on twitch.tv slash wednesdays usually starting around 7 30 eastern time but to stay updated on exactly when the show is going live follow us on social media at rollo at nick F time the official podcast account is at wmr podcast and you can also join our discord server a message goes out when the stream goes live in the general chat on there and in the meanwhile while you're hanging out on there there's all sorts of other cool things you can take uh, part in uh there are conversations that are had about the chapters of the recap series that we cover whenever they come out uh there's a conversation that goes on about the current recommendation there is a space to leave recommendations for other stuff which can also uh be placed on the google doc that's maintained by ninja x3i which you can find through that discord server uh ninja x3i gives us a lot of help by doing that because it keeps track of things that we would forget about otherwise so yes. thanks 
We also like to extend a special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap. If you subscribe to that and become a backer, you can get stuff like the monthly other recap that Chris does, talking about all the stuff in Shonen Jump that we don't talk about on weekly manga recap, albeit once a month. Uh, and also there's other stuff in there besides just Jump series uh, as well. Uh, I've completely lost my train of thought. Uh, also, uh, we want to thank... Uh, everyone who has uh, supported us on Patreon in the past and everything like that. We want to thank Steve Mann, our title artist, whose artwork you can find on the YouTube versions of our show, youtube.com slash recap. Uh, you can find his artwork as well wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet, including his own Twitter, twitter.com slash Art. And the YouTube versions also contain the opening sequence made for us by Winsleydale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. Thank you guys for that. And, I, and I'll say, Steve Mann's art will not need to be censored this time. I, this the title card this time very sweet and innocent that's nice but i kind of almost as a joke want my <laughs> nabutaku to be covering this <laughs> one up too <laughs> i was like i don't know if steve would find that funny that we're just like, what the fuck why did i spend time drawing this uh I have a recommendation that we're going to be talking about a recommendation time. i hope everyone stuck through all the way to the very end that's right that is uh normally <laughs> this is where the treasure clues are given hints where right. the, legendary, the legendary treasure we've left scattered amongst the world oh man i want someone to like start scrounging through every past episode of weekly my like, where are the references to the treasure where? Like, most of the time they end the show with the fart joke so i guess it's <laughs> it's got to be at the fart factory right and i'm like that's a place wait is there actually a fart factory i just thought that was a thing that they made up <laughs> Where's the fart factory? That's where the buried treasure is. What? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I in. I just get dog costumes. <laughs> oh, boy. Also, the first question, can you taste a fart? <laughs> series is called Landlock. We'll talk about it soon. <laughs> Here we go, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>